You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So we're continuing our parable series and we are in uh, Matthew chapter 18 this morning. And... uh, Eric Barton had said earlier this week, maybe the only topic uh, more uh, uh, that people have to hear about less than hell is uh, the topic of forgiveness. And that's what we're talking about this morning. That's what Jesus talked about. In fact, he talks about it all over the New Testament. But here specifically, he's going to give a parable that's going to give us a picture of what mercy and forgiveness looks like. I'll begin this way. If you've read... Um, or seen the movie, probably, that's a better way to say it. Uh, Victor Hugo's uh, Les Miserables, have you, you, know this, you know this story, um, set in, in uh, 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 France during the 1800s. So Les Miserables, so Miserables it really means, I mean, literally it means the miserable people. Or, um, and that's probably not even a, a strong enough, maybe the wretched people is exactly um, what it means. And so there's all this, you know, there's this romance and revolution and all these things that are going on. But it's really a story about this theological contrast of how sinners, how the miserable people, the wretched ones, respond to mercy. And, and at its very core, it is a story of two responses to mercy. One man is broken and he's going to end up living. The other man who is hardened, and he's going to end up dying. Mercy is this, is this word uh, reminds us that we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. We need others. And, and in the end, ultimately, what we need is we need a salvation that comes to us, a merciful salvation, something that comes to us from the outside. So salvation is a, a gift, a free gift of mercy. And the main character in the movie is a guy named Jean Valjean. And so he's this hardened prisoner, you know, depending on if you've seen the 1998 Liam Neeson or the 2010-2012, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Wolverine. So, um, but he's this hardened prisoner. And, and he's got a soul, a, a heart that's full of anger when you're introduced to him. And, and he's, so he's in, he's in prison, he's in hard labor because he stole a piece of bread for his starving niece and he was sentenced to five years and then he tried to escape. So he got 19 years total before he's released. And then upon his release, he finds that re-entering society is, is not that easy. I mean, he's, he's in the midst of this agonizing, unending darkness of unforgiveness. I mean, he's angry, he's bitter. And, and uh, the way that that Hugo puts it, he, he says it this way, at intervals, there would suddenly come to him from within or from without a gust of rage, an added burst of suffering, a pale and rapid flash of lightning that would illuminate his entire world and would suddenly reveal all around him, before and behind in the glare of a ghastly light, the awful sheer drops and grim overhangs of his fate poetically written. Well, he, he, he um, is, is turned away uh, really everywhere that he goes, and he finally finds refuge at the home of a bishop, Bishop Muriel. And um, 
this man offers him charity, and he's a, he's a kind man, self-sacrificing man, and so he brings him in, gives him some food, and lets him spend the night. So you know the story. So Valjean, he, uh, he steals the man's uh, silver and uh, gets away with it, and then the police catch him, and then they bring him back to the bishop because, you know, they want to confirm that the, 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 it's the bishops, and, and they're going to put him in jail and all of these things. But the bishop um, tells the police that he had given the silver to Valjean. It says he gave it to him. In fact, he didn't take all of it, and he puts more silver in his bag. And, um, and just before he lets Valjean go, he says this, and, and this is in the book, but by the passion and the blood, God's raised you out of the darkness. That's what he says to him. In the 1998 movie with Liam Neeson, they have expanded the, the line, and you see the scene, and the bishop says to him, just before he lets him go, looks him right in the eye, and he says, don't forget. Don't, don't ever forget that you've promised to become a new man. So Valjean says, I, I, I promise. Why are you doing this? And the bishop says to him, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With, with this silver, I bought your soul. I ransomed you from fear and hatred. Now I give you back to God. It's a great scene. And at that, I mean, this, this mercy, this, this grace, this, it, it throws Valjean into this, this crisis. He's, he's standing face to face with the depravity of his sinfulness, and he's, and he's broken. This blood-bought mercy offered by the, by the bishop, we find, will end up changing Valjean's Life, permanently, forever, as he changed. In fact, he becomes a man of mercy. And that's the power of the story. The way it contrasts a merciful life with the life of a merciless one. The, the merciful, they face their sin, they face their guilt, they, you know, they, they, they're broken the merciless have to face their sin and guilt, but they're hardened. One breaks like glass, the other's heart is steel. The, the merciful servant receives mercy, receives God. And the aim is to show mercy to others. The, the, the one who's not merciful rejects mercy, and in rejecting mercy, ultimately rejects God. Well, well that is a picture if you will, of what it is that we're going to see in this parable that Jesus tells. There's something tragic that takes place in this story that Jesus is going to tell Peter. So I want you to listen for it. I want you to hear where the tone changes in the story. I'm going to begin reading uh, Matthew 18, verse 21, where Peter is going to come up and ask Jesus a question. So Matthew 18, verse 21, here's what it says. Then Peter came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him and owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his 
wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and, and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I, I will pay you. He refused and went up and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and and they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. And then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers, or the, maybe yours says the tormentors, the torturers, until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Bless the word of the Lord. It's a sobering parable. It appears as though Jesus is, 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 has laid it on the line. He, he's drawn the line in the sand about forgiveness and our response to Forgiveness. And Peter, he comes, he, Jesus had been teaching about forgiveness in the section just before this, that if somebody wrongs you, you're to go to that person, uh, you know, just you and him, and try to work it out. If that doesn't happen, you take a couple of witnesses, and it gives you this picture of how the church is supposed to work in the midst of conflict. And so Peter, then he comes and says to Jesus, he asks him this question about forgiving. And, and it, so, you know, when, when your brother sins against you, so how, how often do I, am I supposed to forgive? So Peter comes and he says, well, so is it, is it seven times? And, and he might have thought, listen, Peter might have thought he was being extravagant here. He might have thought he was being gracious because the reality is, is there's some evidence the rabbis were teaching in the day that three times, three, three times you should forgive. That, that's how many times you forgive. So Peter comes, he, seven, I mean, that's more than double three times. Maybe he thought Jesus would go, man, you know what, Peter, that sounds good. That's, that's pretty gracious. But Jesus answers him and says, no, not, not seven times, but 77 times, or maybe 70 times seven. And if it's 70 times seven, the case is actually 490 times, which the point is, is not that you keep a record. We don't keep score. In fact, it's the opposite of what he's saying is, how often do you forgive him? Every time. You, you forgive every single time. Time, infinity, that's the answer. That's how many times. You know, it's interesting. The, the other time this phrase is used, 70 times 7, it's used way back in Genesis chapter 4. And it, it's used, so the, who says it is, is a guy who is one of the grandsons or great-grandsons of Cain. And his name is Lamech, all right? And he's... Um, he, so what had happened is Cain, you know, he, he gets banished. He, he goes from, the, uh, from outside of Eden, and he's, he's uh, banished by God to wander in the land of Nod, the, the land of nowhere. But he tells God, Cain says to God, well, if I go out there, somebody's going to kill me. And so then God de declares, he decrees, 
what I think is probably the first law in the Bible. You call it the law of vengeance. And he says, listen, if, if vengeance is taken out on Cain, then, um, then, then the vengeance will come back on that person sevenfold. So he puts a mark on Cain. Nobody touches Cain. If you do, it'll come back on you sevenfold. Well, Lamech, he's a great-grandson of, of, uh, of, of Cain, and he's, he's, he's a proud man. And he says, listen, well, if, if the vengeance on Cain is sevenfold, then vengeance for me is 70 times seven. What he's saying is it's boundless vengeance. It's, it's uh, endless, infinite vengeance. And Lamech epitomizes the nature, the, the now sinful, the now skewed nature of man. Limitless vengeance. You, you offend me, I'll get you. You, you wrong me, you're never going to live it down. You, you threaten my kingdom, you threaten my world, you, you threaten my glory. Vengeance to you, to the end of the earth. That's what Lamech's saying. But Jesus here, he's showing a different way. It, it's not the way of, of vengeance. It, it, it's not the way of... It is the way of the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says. It's, it's like the kingdom of heaven. It's the way of grace. It's the way of the gospel. Interestingly enough, if you look in Genesis chapter 4, right after Lamech makes that, that declaration, God's word, the narrative, in the very next breath, says Adam and Eve have another child, the child Seth. Seth means God has appointed another, and it's the line of Seth. At that time, the text says that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's the line of Seth that Noah will come through, and Abraham will come through, and Moses will come through, and David will come through, and Jesus will come through. So that was Jesus' answer to Peter, but he doesn't stop there. He goes to tell Peter a story to illustrate what it is that he means. And so it's this parable, and the parable has three parts. In this first part, verses 23 to 27, he tells, so the kingdom of heaven's like, and there's this king, and he's going to settle these accounts. So he brings his servants before him. And we don't know why the king wants to settle his accounts. Maybe he wants to settle them because he you know, listen, the way money worked is that, you know, there wasn't a bank. All the money in the kingdom was actually had come from the king. It was the, it was the, the value of the money would have been, you know, based upon the power and the wealth of the king. So maybe he's taking an inventory. Maybe he's, he's auditing his wealth. Maybe he's evaluating some trade with another kingdom. Maybe he's decided he's going to go to war and just needs to see how much he has. We don't know. But one of the servants comes before him, and it says that he owes him 10,000 talents. You might have a footnote in your Bible. The footnote in my ESV reads, A talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years' wages for a laborer. One talent, 20 years of work. That's what it would have equal to. A talent was worth anywhere between 5,000, 10,000 denarii, depending on if it's a silver talent or a gold talent. So 10,000, it's a mind-boggling sum. If, if one talent was about 20 years of wages, and you do the math, that's 20 years times 10,000, that's 200,000 years of wages that the man owes. Maybe the guy was the servant. He, maybe he was a royal official. Maybe he made a talent a year. Well, that's 10,000. 
still 10,000 years of wages. Some have calculated it to be the, in the billions of dollars. The point is, it's impossible. It's an infinite amount. It is more than he can pay ever. It's insurmountable. The debt cannot be paid. And listen, it's no small amount for the king. It's the kind of sum that would put a kingdom in jeopardy. Someone likened it to, you know, it's like bankrupting Bill Gates is what it would be like. So the king, the master, he ordered him to be sold as a slave and you know, be lost of freedom. Not only that, his wife sold to slavery, his children sold to slavery, everything he had. And, and listen, even at that, even at, even at selling the man and selling his wife and selling his children, it would not, in all he owes, it wouldn't touch what the man owes. I mean, his whole life, all, all that he is, all that he has, the entire sum of everything this man is a drop in the bucket compared to the debt that he owes. So the man falls on his knees and he begs for mercy. He, and listen to the pleas. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. There's two things about this. One, the, the man's desperate. I mean, we don't know why he lost the money. We don't know if he's was a bad manager or if he was just a bad man. We don't know. And he's desperate. But he's also delusional, isn't he? There's no way he could pay everything back. Not in 10,000 lifetimes can he pay it back. Well, the king's response, if you'll notice, in uh, verse 27, it's a three-part response, if you heard it. It says, out of, out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him his debt. Out of pity, it says. The, the Greek word is the word splachnon. It, it, it refers to the inwardmost parts of a person. It's, it's where we get the word spleen from. So when you say that you love somebody from, with all your heart, the really biblical way to say it is, I love you with all my spleen. That's really the way, this is, you know, try that on Valentine's Day. But so anyways, it's the seat of emotion. It means to be moved with compassion. tell you something interesting. This is in case you get this on a trivial pursuit question at the holidays, all right? I'm setting you up. The Latin translation, the, the Latin Vulgate of, of this Greek word is the word uh, uh, misericorde, translated compassion or, or mercy. Another connection with that is um, many of the French words are very, very similar, very much the same. As Latin words, Hugo writes Les Miserables in French, and he, and he takes us at the very beginning of the, of the novel, he takes us to a scene, he walks you into the bishop's uh, study, right at the beginning. And the bishop's there, and in solitude, he's, he's meditating on the names of God. Almighty, and creator, and liberty, and immensity, wisdom, and truth, and... Uh, Light and Lord and providence and holiness and justice and, and, and all of these things. And he, and he writes out this meditation of all these different words. And he comes to what he calls the most beautiful of all God's names. You know what it is? Mr. Corday. Mercy. Compassion. 
And it's this line, Hugo's playing off the title, Les Miserables, the answer for the miserable people is the mercy of God. Out of pity, he responds to him. And then it says he released him. He, he let him go free. He gave him his life. He, he forgave the debt, it says next. And, and in the master's kingdom, listen, it would have been threatened. His glory defamed, his honor shamed, but, but it was not the law that he chose. He chose grace, not vengeance, but grace and mercy. The debt was forgiven the servant, but the debt was absorbed. It, it was paid by the king. What the man lost, that was forgiven. It became the king's loss in that moment. See, it reminds us, mercy is never free. Mercy is very expensive. But mercy, grace, it requires paying the cost of justice. Again, figured it out. It's, it's a picture of what what Jesus' life was for us. I mean, the cost of the Savior's life, and that mercy, listen, it's beautiful to behold by those who have eyes to see it. Mercy will change your life when you see it. But mercy also has the ability to harden, which is what we see next. And that's where the story takes its turn. In verse 28, it begins with, and, and you, you heard it, but when that same servant. It's a, it's a contrastive conjunction, the word but. And that lies, herein lies the problem. The, the servant, he, he's experienced this unfathomable grace, this unbelievable mercy. He was free, he was set free, his debt had been paid, the crushing weight of the debt that he owed had been forgiven, and yet, there is the contrastive conjunction that tells us something dreadful. The man had been shown mercy, he'd been freed, he'd been forgiven, but he hadn't been changed. Grace was given, but he didn't understand it. He, he didn't appreciate it. He, he, was, he wasn't overwhelmed by it. For, for this man, he was merely off the hook. What he didn't understand, he didn't appreciate, was what his whole life had been changed. He'd been given life. He'd been freed, but he wasn't free. That's what we're going to see. He'd been forgiven, but he didn't, he didn't receive it. So the opposite of a contrasting conjunction is a continuing conjunction. A, a connecting conjunction. And, and so, and... Therefore, and, and now, and it means the story continues in the same direction. There's this effect, there's this trajectory, a, a splash of grace drops in the water, and the ripples continue. The, the story keeps going on. The life changing moment now flows into all the smaller moments of life. The narrative of the big story now becomes the narrative of all. The little stories, but that's not what happens in the parable. That's not what happens with this servant. It says, this servant went out, but the same servant went out. He finds a guy who owes him money. He seizes him. He chokes him in that order. And then says, pay me what you owe. 
Well, how much does he owe? He owes 100 denarii. Denarius is about a day's wage, maybe a hundred bucks, maybe, maybe a thousand. Here's the point. It's a drop in the bucket. It's nothing. It's, it's insignificant in light of what the man had been forgiven. It's nothing. But it wasn't insignificant for the man that owed it. I mean, he didn't have it. He was at the mercy of, his, of, of, of the servant. And his plea, did you hear his plea? Have mercy. Have patience with me. I'll pay you. It's the same words he'd used. The same plea. But in verse 30 it says, He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. He refused. There's no mercy. He put him in prison. He took away his freedom until his debt's paid. He demanded the payment of the debt. Even as he hears his own words, he responds in the exact opposite way that he'd been treated. This man could not have been more different from the king. In fact, with the, I think the story leads, the man actually is forsaking the king who showed him mercy and freed him and paid his debt. The servant's kingdom, it was threatened. His honor, his glory, what, what was his was at stake. This man's from the line of Lamech. He, he is a Lamech. A man of vengeance. A man of the law. A man determined to be his own king, to protect his own glory, to defend his own honor to the ends of the earth. Well, the third part of the parable, beginning in verse 31, the guy's friends, his peers, go to the master, go to the king, and they report what they saw. They knew that it was wrong. Now listen, legally, the guy had, had the right to collect the debt. The, the wrong was not with regard to what the law said. The wrong was with regard to the gospel. It was, it was, it was wrong with regard to the grace that the man had received. So the master, this king of grace, this king of mercy comes along. The man had, had been shown mercy, but he didn't receive it. He'd been shown grace, but he didn't receive it. It didn't wash over him. He missed it. So the king of mercy, the king of grace shows up, and now he appears as the king of justice. It's not grace now, it's... It's justice. The man will experience the full weight of the law. Notice the indictment. He says, you're a wicked servant. I forgave you because you pleaded with me. I had mercy on you. But you're a man of no mercy. And so the king, the master, he, he delivers him to the jailers, the torturers, till he should pay his debt. So in verse 35, Jesus sums it up and says, So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Remember, Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven 